put away your ego and learn not always thinking you're you're an expert like even when i get a black belt right or even like where i am in terms of like my body composition etc now i don't ever think I, I i won't ever have the mentality of thinking i'm a master i'll have the mentality of wanting to master something but i don't ever think that it's good to believe i am a master you know what i mean because i think that kind of just pigeonholes you into the knowledge that you already have you're you're then satisfied with what you've done and you don't think you have to learn more body mind empowerment get stronger faster smarter quicker friendlier more helpful more driven everything the body needs control your mind Welcome to the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host Simulans and our guest today is Nasima Inyang. Nasima is a drug-free professional bodybuilder, elite-level powerlifter and martial artist who holds many titles in bodybuilding and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's also the co-host of Mark Bill's Power Project Podcast and an online coach. Nasima, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sim, man. I'm glad you had me on, man. It's going to be yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good uh, to talk with you. And uh, like that was a pretty, you know, solid rundown of, of everything that you're doing and uh, what you've accomplished. So maybe like give a more insightful <laughs> description or overview uh, about uh, what are you doing in terms of like physical uh, fitness? Yeah, so you pretty much got the order, right? I started off with bodybuilding. When I was a kid, actually, I started playing soccer. I played soccer for 15 years from six to like 20 or 21. Um, I started doing bodybuilding training when I was 13 after uh, I had a knee injury. So I had Oscar Slaughter in both knees and that stopped me from being able to run for like three or four years from the age of 13 to 17. So that got me into the gym, which I'm so thankful for that injury because it got me started in like lifting early in life. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've been lifting now for 13 years. Um, and I started doing bodybuilding actually after I got injured in college. In college, I got an injury on my foot. I had to get a surgery on my foot. I had a bunion shaved off. So that stopped me from being able to run again. So I then start, kept focusing on lifting. Uh, got into natural bodybuilding, drug-free bodybuilding. So uh, I did my first competition, I believe, in 2012 or 2013. I got second, but I also got my pro card and 14 and then I competed at WNBF Worlds, which is uh, the World National Bodybuilding Federation Worlds I got fifth in the ultra heavyweight class um, mm -hmm. And that was as a pro which was pretty awesome mm -hmm. uh, From there I moved and started focusing on powerlifting because I wanted to stop focusing on the body so much I think it's I think when you you can get sucked in especially as a physique athlete Just being focused on how you look all the time. Mm -hmm. You know a lot see a lot of physique athletes uh, bikini athletes and bodybuilders after they step on stage, right? They get off and they're scared of having to put some body fat back on because it's not healthy being that lean, you know? It's not, it's not good to be that lean all the time. Mm -hmm. So I started focusing on powerlifting and gaining strength. And I did that mainly as a way to help myself get away from my body for a while and just focus on performance while maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And I uh, started competing in powerlifting for a little bit and my record right now uh, my best deadlift was 755 my best squat was 625 and my best mm -hmm. bench was i think like 401 i've still never benched 405 which is a oh, it hurts oh. the soul because over here at super training you got all these monster benchers in the gym so yeah. um That's and then from there yeah yeah um from there i started doing jujitsu because i wanted to get back and i told you i played soccer for 15 years I wanted to find a sport that would allow me to like just use my body like fully, you know, not just doing a squat bench and deadlift, not just lifting weights for bodybuilding, but really be able to move through different ranges of motion, you know, athletically. So I started jujitsu about three and a half years ago. I've been doing that ever since I've become addicted to jujitsu. I, I love it so much. Um, and uh, I went to worlds as a blue belt. And I got second this year, nice. uh, but I've done, uh, I think maybe nine, or 10 jujitsu competitions at this point. And it's, it's, I'm going to stick with that for the rest of my life, along with all the powerlifting and all the lifting. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty damn impressive. And uh, especially like, um, like I talked with uh, Mark Bell uh, a few days ago as well. And he had like a similar story in terms of like, uh, he, he realized that his strength was more like uh, these power sports and lifting. So, so he kind of honed in completely on that and focused so focused mm -hmm. on this kind of a sport. So kind of you have a, like a similar story in, in some aspects. 
Yeah, I, I do. Like, you know, um, the, the bodybuilding pretty much both times that I focused on that came out of like an injury. And the powerlifting was to help me to become a better bodybuilder, but jujitsu just kind of slaps both of those in the face because jujitsu isn't helping me to be a better bodybuilder or a better powerlifter. But the powerlifting and the bodybuilding training is helping me to be a better martial artist in terms of jujitsu. It's, it's okay. funny because the whole, um, the whole subculture of jujitsu is built around the idea of us. Technique is way more important than strength. And, and technique is actually extremely important in the art. But the fact is, is that like, if you have two guys that have equal technique, let's just say they're both 200 pound guys, right? Mm -hmm. Equal technique. Um, but one guy is substantially stronger than the other. I'd say maybe eight times out of 10, the guy that's stronger is going to win. Mm. So I'm, I'm, the, the training that I do in the gym, obviously I enjoy training too much. I'm not going to quit that, but I'm using that to help me to be a much better fighter when I hit the yeah. mats. And it's, it's, it's working well, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it seems so. And yeah, like to I totally agree that although like martial arts and uh, let's say even like professional athletes in any sports like gymnastics or I don't know, cross skiing or something, the, the main focus or the main results come from actually practicing the sport and the technique. But, yeah. you know, lifting weights is, is almost like uh, this meta skill in terms of that it's, it's going to improve your performance in everything you do as well and make you stronger and uh, healthier in general. So, yeah, I would imagine that anyone who doesn't lift, they're going to be either like a substantial disadvantage, especially in like grapp grappling sports. Mm -hmm. You even look, look at a sport like golf, man. Um, mm -hmm. You look at Tiger Woods, he deadlifts, he trains. He trains to help him have a much power, more powerful swing. You look at like top-level basketball players, uh, not, maybe not Kevin Durant. Uh, I don't even want to talk about Kevin Durant right mm -hmm. now after his Achilles injury. But look at like LeBron James and a lot of these you know, top-level basketball players. They still do resistance training to help them with their sport. So I definitely think no matter what it is that you do, um, there, resistance training is going to come in and help that. Everybody somehow and in some way should lift. You don't have to be a bodybuilder. You don't have to be a power lifter. But if you can move some weight around, generally your quality of life, not even just for your sport, but just your quality of life is just going to be so much better. There's really no reason not to lift. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And not to mention all the weight loss benefits and just the longevity benefits as well. Like you can just you can be healthier and you can, you know, lean down more easily and you don't have like all these age related diseases catching up on you in your forties already. So it's definitely like yeah. something, it's one of those, uh, one of those quick wins everyone can and should do. It's almost like mandatory for a modern person in the modern world to practice some form of resistance training because we don't really like experience, uh, lifting stuff in our everyday life and we actually have to replicate it at the gym mm -hmm. in some form. You know, and it's actually what you, what you mentioned there is really interesting because first off, nowadays, the sedentary lifestyle is so, it's so common. Everyone's sitting. Um, but we were having a conversation in the break room earlier. A lot of like, you'll, you'll see people be like, ah, I messed up my knee the other day. And it's not even from the gym. It's from something as simple as walking. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is, is like, I know people, I know a lot of guys that like, they'll, they'll go to the gym, they'll work out, right? But for a majority of the day, they'll probably go back home, make some food, sit on the couch, or they're coming from work and then they work out, but they don't really, they're not able to walk and actually just like move much. Right. I think even more so than getting into an active lifestyle in terms of lifting, we just need to start moving more. Like it just general as a society, we just need to get in the habit of moving a little bit more because uh, it's, it's very easy nowadays to just be sedentary in every other aspect of life other than maybe the gym or what you do in terms of whatever, you know, whatever your sport is. Um, so that's why like, along with like all the lifting and stuff I do, you know, Mark's all about the 10 minute walks and walking a lot. I just try to make sure that I get enough sun that I make sure to like walk and just, just like do things outside of lifting that are gonna, that are gonna help out. You know what I mean? Because I actually notice a difference when I'm not able to get as much walking in there is a very big difference. Even if I'm still getting in the gym and still doing jujitsu, there's a difference in the way my body feels. The mm. simple act, like act of walking, which is something that we've done forever, right, yeah. um, is, is something that a lot of people also need to make sure that they can try and add in to whatever it is they do. You know, like Mark mentions, after you eat, take a 10-minute walk. Mm. Uh, start walking. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, it's almost like you got to learn how to walk before you can learn how to squat or sprint or such. <laughs> and yeah, walking is like very, 
it's it's so easy and it's so effective for not only like your physical health but also like psychological well-being and just uh, reducing the daily stress and getting getting out of your own head in in, in some aspects yeah yeah no it, it really does um and even finding a way to i try to also find a way to get like time away from like everything i'm not i'm not talking about like being a monk and heading into the hills or whatever but just like time time away for myself to just think um mm-hmm. have you ever heard of the book digital minimalism by cal newport you probably uh, may have read it or- yeah i've heard i've heard about it but i haven't read it uh, but but his uh, previous books deep work etc they're kind of they follow the similar um, principles like avoiding digital digitals exactly no it, it, it does follow the same principles um but the, I think the reason why Cal made digital minimalism is because after Deep Work, which is an amazing book in terms of obviously being more productive, everyone should check that book out. Um, people were messaging him saying, you know, I'm using these principles, but man, my phone is getting in the way or technology is getting in the way, et cetera. So he made this book in response to that because people that are, are your age and my age, I'm 26. I think you're 22 or 23. 24. Right. 24, 24. All right. So we've come up on technology, right? So we're really used to having this thing just like always with us all the time, having notifications. Um, And it really, you might not even notice it, but it really finds a way to just distract you from so many things. Mm -hmm. And you're not able to really have time away from it to just be in your own head. Like, and even I, I, I was this way in the past where I would be uncomfortable right? I'd be uncomfortable like in, in the line of a store. If I uh, wasn't talking to anybody or I didn't have anybody around me, right? I'd, the, the thing I'd do would be like, hmm, I wonder if I have an email or maybe what's going on on IG right now. You really never leave yourself time to just like let your thoughts go, right? And, and come up with new ideas. So I really try and make sure I have some time, whether it be in the morning or sometime during the day where I'm just sitting down nothing's around me. I'm not around anyone. I don't have music on. I just let myself think. I'm not even meditating or anything. I just like let my mind go, let my mind wander, let, let myself think about things with no outside input. And that's been something that has just allowed me to just be clear on a day-to-day basis. And I, I don't feel like the urge to, uh, you know, when I'm bored to pull this bad guy out mm-hmm. and be stuck on it, you know? And it, it's, it's something that I think everyone should try and do. It's definitely yeah. benefited me. Yeah, people are just like afraid of uh, being silent and being alone in the sense they need something to keep them entertained and uh, something yeah. to stimulate them in some form. Yeah, no, it, it, you're, you're really right. I'm, and I, I don't, I'm not even trying to say this from like a soapbox or anything. I did this. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> this is something yeah. that I did. So it's, it's not coming from like, oh, I've never done this before. I've definitely done this. I grew up with technology, so I know, the, I know the hurt. I didn't have like an iPad or a phone when I was 10, like some people nowadays, but I think when I was like 17 or 18, I got my first smartphone. So I, I know that struggle. Um, so yeah, most definitely it's, it, it, can, it can be painful. Yeah, can be painful. and especially like uh, for you and I who are kind of making our living online with social media, et cetera, it's, it's kind of rubbing off or it's much more noticeable for us because we kind of we we're, we're trying to you know make our living of those things while at the same time having having to be much more mindful about uh, how much they control our lives and uh, have to take breaks uh, from them mm-hmm. dude that's so true like i've had to um i used to give myself excuses you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i'm on an ig right now because i have to post something for you know just you know, post <laughs> yeah. content or that's post some like post some YouTube content or something like that. I, I I used to give myself excuses for that, but like I I really had to just step away and just realize this is not good for me. I saw my screen time, you know, on how much I spent on Instagram, and that was not good for me. So I really needed to step back and just recalibrate the ways I was spending my time on some of these platforms, just to make sure I was not only trying to, you know, put out good content, but also looking out for my own, my own health, my own mental health. It's very important. Yeah. I didn't want to continue going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, like I have these kind of strict rules that I apply. Where, for instance, like I don't check my Instagram all the way until like maybe afternoon. Like I, I spend the first part of the day completely, you know, on airplane mode and disconnected from online so I could have like more time to be productive. Uh, which is like some of the main main recommendations in deep work as well, uh, and yeah. as well as, as and on the rest of the day, I also don't you know go there just for the sake of it. If I'm bored, I I you know have this specific time period where I will go there 
And at other times, it's like off limits. Do you have like anything similar? In, the, in yeah, the- yeah, yeah. So uh, there, there was a time, especially when I wasn't realizing like my phone stuff years ago, that I, the, when I get up in the morning, I, the first thing I do is check my email. You know, uh, I think that's when I read Deep Work a few years ago. I was like, oh snap. Okay, that's when I started developing better habits in terms of not checking my phone immediately. What I like to do is I like to get up. Some mornings I'll like you know meditate a little bit. Um, but other mornings, I'll just get up, do some push-ups, do some pull-ups because I have that uh, and not go on my phone the first thing. I like to actually go out. Um, there's, there's a park by my house and I like to just go read. I just like to read a book in the morning um, so that I'm not like the first thing I do is check the technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, then I'll probably start doing some work. But I've gotten out of the habit of having my phone or technology be the first thing I look at in the morning, unless it's like it's a morning that I have to be here, you know, podcasting the mark or doing something with the team. Um, and yeah, I just go about the rest of my day. But I really try and only, and also, I don't have notifications on my phone. Yeah. So I turn off all notifications all the time. And if I have to check something, then I'll, I'll be like, okay, I need, a, I need to message someone or see if they've messaged me. Because notifications can really, it, it, the, the job of a notification is to get you to look at your phone. Yeah. And if you're trying to not look at it for a period of time, then you don't want things popping up on your screen, taking your attention. Like I know someone might send you a text, um, but if it's really that important, they'll give you a call. You know what I mean? So I really try to, like you said, I try to not have to be the first thing I pay attention to in the morning. I just try to have, like, like I said, read or do something that's fairly important to me. Um, get outside. I don't like being inside in the morning. I like to get out. That's why like when I go out, I go out on like a park bench or something and I read out there mm-hmm. and then I go about the rest of the day, do my work, et cetera. But I still try to make sure that I'm not looking at my phone or picking up my phone that much because I know how bad of a habit can be from past experience yeah yeah it's almost like um if you do have those notifications constantly stimulating you and distracting you then you're almost like setting yourself up for being you know guided away from what you actually want to do so to say they become uh let's say the uh, social media it starts to dictate your perception of the world as well as your goals in the sense it's going to feed this sort of a narrative into your head that you start to believe because you're always, you know, watching those Instagram posts, etc., and that's going to d- d- distract you from your true goals and what you actually want to do. So it's very important to kind of have this sort of a, you know, proactive space for yourself mm-hmm. where you're able to actually dictate to yourself what are you want and uh, how do you actually end up going about it. Dude, you're you're so right in terms of like. You know, checking social, or seeing social media and having this like comparative idea of yourself versus another individual's life. Mm. I was thinking about this and I find, first off, I feel like I'm so blessed that I had that injury when I was 13, right? That mm. stopped me from playing soccer and forced me into the gym. When that happened and I couldn't play soccer, I got depressed. So my mom was like, okay, I'm getting you to do something physical and you can go lift weights and that's good. Mm. But the second thing I'm super happy about is that I didn't grow up at the cutting age of like, uh, in like social media in terms of yeah. technology, because something that I see a lot of days nowadays, you know, I have, I have young clients, like guys that are 18, 19, 20, maybe they just started lifting or they've only been lifting for two or three years. Um, and they have this idea that like after two or three years of lifting, I should be here. I see all these people that are like this big and they look like this. I never had that. You know, when I, when I, when I thought about it, like I didn't really get Yes, exposed to YouTube fitness or whatever until I was maybe 17, 18. I put four years in at that point and I was already doing really, really well. If I saw that at like 13, 14, 15 years old, or let's just put it this way, let's say that I started lifting later and then I was on social media and I saw all these super jacked people, (laughs) I would think that like, yeah, I don't take any like drugs or anything, but that would get, that would be something that would have made me potentially want to take that route. Mm. because I would be comparing myself to all these people and I would want the results like this. You know what I mean? Uh, Rather than putting in the time to train, being ignorant to everyone else's results and just trying to focus on myself um, and just do putting in the time. I think that's one of the hardest things for for lifters nowadays is realizing, especially if you want to do something drug-free, right? Is realizing that it's going to take you a long time. It's going to take you a lot of learning and it's not going to necessarily be easy. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, we, we know that there, there are some people at this gym that do take, you know, drugs or anything. And I'm not saying that's bad. Um, but 
those will get you results much faster than doing it without. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think there are advantages to doing it without as far as your health is concerned. And that should be like the biggest concern, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if I grew up with social media, I, I don't know if I would have taken the same path. And I think it's, it's much harder nowadays, especially if you're a lifter, you're trying to get strong, you're trying to get big. Being exposed to so many people that are doing it at a high level, but that maybe they, they are taking drugs or whatever, it might really want to force you to that because if you do take the route of not, it'll take you a longer time. You know, people get this false perception about what success is and especially in terms of like fitness or business and everything else. So they think that it's supposed to be very easy and there's this distortion between how long it actually takes. And in your example, like the reason you are able to lift you know this crazy amount of weight is because you've been lifting for like almost 15 years and it's it's yeah. taken a long time and uh, you, the, you, the people rarely see this sort of a uh, the long story in a sense they don't see uh, what you did before social media and they only see like this short time you know snap that they, that isn't actually what's uh, what's how, what's like the true story of reality mm-hmm. and we were actually just having a conversation <laughs> about this in the break room in terms of um comparisons right like a lot of people when let's say that someone sees pictures of me on ig right and they're like you know what i can't look like him or whatever so i'm I'm just gonna i'm just this isn't worth it i'm not gonna do this right um a lot of people compare themselves to the way how good someone else is at something and if they can't get there they kind of just stop or they quit Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day sim like if whatever it is or whatever you're trying to do, if you do that thing for 10 years, if you live for 10 years, you're not guaranteed to look like me. And, I, you know, not even this is going to sound kind of messed up, but most people might not look like me. But if you live for 10 years, you will look amazing. Either way, you'll look really damn good. You might not look like Arnold, but you'll look really damn good if you put in those years. So that, that's, that, that shouldn't be an excuse not to do something just because you won't you know reach some some level that another individual is able to reach i think that like that's that's the that that's the struggle with comparing yourself to other people and the, the thing is though there there's a second way to look at this too like when i look at what i'm doing in terms of like um business or youtube or whatever uh i do compare myself to other people but i do that in a sense that I want to see what they're doing and I want to learn from it so that I can get to that level and potentially surpass that level. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't look at it like, ah, Sim has all these tens of thousands of subscribers and he's reaching all these people. Ah, F that guy. No, (laughs) I look at what you're doing and it's inspiring and I want to learn from that and I want to learn learn better ways of doing what I'm doing so I can get there. Mm. And it's it's very harsh where where you can find that line. It's hard because... Like there's very negative ways to look at it, but if we can look at it in a positive fashion, then a lot of us can, we can make a big difference. Yeah, it's like uh, competition is good as long as it's uh, done from a positive perspective, so to say. It's good to actually look at these, I don't know, crazy level athletes and uh, who are maybe like, you know, dedicating their entire lives into the sports and wanting to be like them just so you could, you know, actually start motivating yourself and putting uh, like more effort into your own, your own uh, routines, etc. Uh, yeah. In some, in some sense, it can be like a positive thing, but it, sh- it shouldn't like consume you in, in the sense of driving you insane or uh, starting to actually hate the other person. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I think that will, one of the big things that happened to me actually when I started training here at Super Training, I think it was back in 2016. I think it's been three years. But um, when I came here, I think I was like deadlifting, I don't know, 620 or 630 was my max time for the deadlift. Um, and that's, that's good, right? Um, but there were, there, were, there were guys here that were maybe deadlifting a little bit more than me. And there are definitely guys here that are benching and squatting a lot more than me. Um, and I looked at it as a great place to learn. Like when I came in, I think there's this guy, Marcus and Mark, they looked at my deadlift and they, they made adjustments to it, right? And I just had to be receptive to that. But at the same time, when they made those initial adjustments, I lost, I wouldn't say I lost strength, but those adjustments caused me to have to lower the total amount of load that I was using over time. Like I couldn't lift as much as I was before. Mm-hmm. It took me about maybe nine or 10 weeks to get used to the adjustments that they made in terms of the way I deadlifted, right? In terms of my hip position and 
all these small technical things. I think after about 15 or 18 weeks, I deadlifted 715 for the first time. Nice. So that was 95 pounds. But the thing is, it's not that the reason why it, w- it wasn't that I gained new amounts of strength. I probably didn't gain that much strength, but the technique that I was taught and because I was receptive to the new, the new way of doing that, I had to go backwards. I, I, I didn't lose strength, but I had to learn that new technique. And then after it clicked, then I was able to do much, much more because I was receptive to what these people that were better than me, what they were showing me. Um, so I think that that's, 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 it's not necessarily the comparison thing, but not having an ego about the way you do certain things, being receptive to what people have to tell you. Like even when I'm at jujitsu nowadays, right. Um, and I'm jujitsu has like the five belts, white, blue, purple, brown, black. Right. Um, at this point I can, I can tap upper belts now and then, but I'm, I'm still receptive to something that like another blue belt may see every, after every single role that I do, even if I manage to tap that person, you know, a few times, I'll still ask, what did you see from what we, what we did? Right. Even if I know I'm maybe, maybe in skill, I might be a little bit more advanced than someone. I can still get their perspective on something because they still may have something good that they want to say. I try to go into everything I do with that type of mentality. Mark and I call it the white belt mentality. Mm always having something new to learn, always being receptive and open to different ideas, different criticisms. Um, and that's also why like the podcast that Mark's doing here is really awesome because we have all of these different nutrition experts that come in and like, uh, uh, and they always have different ideas and different ways of doing things. And I've managed to learn a lot. Like I've changed a lot of like my dietary practices from a lot of the individuals that we've had here. Um, just because trying out new things made a positive benefit. I could have still been doing things the way I was doing in maybe 2015, counting macros and having that be the focus. And the big idea of being in a surplus and a deficit still plays a role. But now certain food choices um, are made from some of the stuff I learned here. So we always have the, the need and the want to be open to new information and just to learn from people we have on. Yeah. It's almost like you have to be humble and uh, practice humility because as soon as you start to think that you're like a master or you've mastered something, then you immediately get you know, snapped in the fingers and uh, you're going to experience what it actually, that you're actually a white belt, white belt still, like you said. I think I fell into that trap like, like back in 2015-16. Um, I, was, I was already working with a lot of people when it comes to like, you know, like body composition, right? And um, I was having them utilize flexible dieting, which has amazing principles in terms, you know, you want to be in, a, be in a slight deficit and you can count your macros and you can lose weight, which is very, very true. That is very, very true. But at that point, I was like, why would you do anything else? You have all this freedom with food, et cetera. Like, there's no reason. I don't need to really learn much anymore. Um, and I fell into that trap. I, I, and I, after like, talking to a lot of people here, I realized there's a lot to, like, there's a lot of, first off, a lot of different ways of doing things that are beneficial. And there's a lot to learn in terms of this diet thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I think I definitely fell into that trap in the past, but now I, I don't think that way about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I think one, one reason why I don't think that way is also when I started jujitsu, um, because when starting jujitsu, I don't have any type of grappling or wrestling experience. You know, I, I, hadn't, I have no experience with that type of sport. Like I played soccer and I lifted weights. I don't know about grappling with another individual. Um, I think going into that martial art, right, having no experience, having to start from the very bottom, like, I, I, I should you not, when I first started, I think six months in, I rolled with this black belt that was maybe 160 pounds. And I was 260 at the time, mind you. And he tapped me six times in six minutes. I have the videos on my YouTube. It's buried somewhere in there, but it's on my YouTube. And I I just have all the submissions that he was doing on me. That's when I realized, okay, first off, there's a lot to learn here. And I I really like this martial art, but it continued to cement the idea of just like being humble and just wanting to put away your ego and learn because me being such a big guy, like a lot of big guys you see don't like that martial art because they, they get creamed by, by people that are smaller and a little bit weaker than them. Yeah. Um, but it just cemented that idea of having that white belt mentality and always being open to learning new things from people and trying new things and seeing what works, not always thinking you're, you're an expert. Like even when I get a black belt, right, or um, even like where I am in terms of like my body composition, et cetera, now, I don't ever 
think I, I, I won't ever have the mentality of thinking I'm a master. I'll have the mentality of wanting to master something, but I don't ever think that it's good to believe I am a master. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I think that kind of just pigeonholes you into the knowledge that you already have. You're, you're then satisfied with what you've done and you don't think you have to learn more. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's so true. Like ma the master itself is like an oxymoron. It's unachievable. <laughs> you, you'll never achieve it in a sense. And if you do, then you re realize that there's actually so much more to learn and it's exactly. just the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that's the awesome thing. But uh, what, what kind of recommendations would you give to someone who is like at the beginning of their lifting journey and uh, they want to uh, potentially reach those same lifting numbers as you did? Uh, like what, where can they start and what, what are like the main principles uh, in regards that we talk, already talked about? Mm. So I think that the whole bodybuilding and powerlifting thing, um, those two sports are kind of interconnected. You don't have to do powerlifting to get strong. If you want to do powerlifting and focus on the squat, bench, and deadlift, you totally can. Uh, but you don't have to do powerlifting. If you're someone who's trying to get stronger, just find it, like go to a gym, find a barbell and focus on like simple aspects of progressive overload, moving a little bit more weight or a little bit more overall training volume, mm -hmm. maybe from week to week or every two weeks. Cause sometimes trying to move more weight every single week is dangerous. Not the best idea. Um, but trying to hit small PRs in terms of the way you do things technically. Oh, this week, um, the squat felt a little bit easier than last week, or I was taking video and the way that movement looked was easier. But I, I think that there's a strength in focusing more on your performance over time than your physique. Mm. Because the physique, if I was focusing on my physique every single week and every single month of my training, that would have been rough. Mm. You know, like uh, I wouldn't have been seeing progress, that much progress from month to month. But when, when I look back at it, like from year to year, then I could see a big difference from the way I looked one year versus the other and how strong I was one year versus the other. So I think what we should do is we should focus on the way we perform more so than the way that we look over time. Um, the second thing is in, in terms of lifting, and this is why I said bodybuilding and powerlifting aren't that different, is like when people talk about bodybuilding training, they think a lot about super high volume, supersets, et cetera. When people think of powerlifting training, they think of, you know, just focusing on the big three and having minimal, and we call it nowadays, accessory work. Mm -hmm. um, I like to do a mix of the two in the fact that I like to do my big compound movements like my squat, my bench, my deadlift, overhead press, all these big compound movements. But after those compound movements, I do a lot of accessory work. I don't like calling it accessory work because it, make it, like it, it makes it seem like it's secondary and it's not as important, yeah. but it's just yeah. as important. And those movements allow me to work on smaller muscle groups like my biceps, my triceps, my shoulders, calves, all these smaller accessory movements. Um, and I think that if you can mix those, those two types of training together, it's the best of both worlds. You can also do this in a way where you're not spending two and a half hours in the gym Let's just use a total just random example of an upper body day. Let's say that you choose to do two or three sets of the bench press, one set or maybe not two sets of overhead press. Then you move to a, a bunch of push-pull supersets. Um, and supersets, people that are listening to this episode definitely know what supersets are, but you can superset antagonistic muscle groups. These are muscle groups that don't have much to do with each other. So after you do your overhead press and your bench, you can then superset maybe eight push-pull movements. So maybe you do a chest press with a one-arm dumbbell row, and then you do an oh, dumbbell overhead press with a high row, like a, a, a lat pull-down. And then you do two more push-pull movements and two arm movements, but you superset those movements so that they don't take you too long in between. You can get done with that workout in maybe an hour 15, an hour 20 minutes. Um, so I think if you can definitely mix the strength element, which allows you to look at you know, overall increments and in strength over time, and then um, getting a lot of training volume through your accessory work, that would mix those two so that you're not always focused on the way your physique looks. Um, and then secondly, I think a big thing that a lot of individuals can take away from is increasing your frequency of doing certain, like of doing certain movements. Mm -hmm. So something I see a lot of people still fall into is like the old school type of bodybuilding type workouts where you do like, uh, you know, 
chest, then the next day's arms, and the next day's shoulders. You're doing one body part a week. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is like your chest after a day or two is going to be recovered well enough that you can hit another chest session. So even if like, if you're first starting out and you're doing one body part a week, that'll be good for maybe six to nine months. After that period of time, increase your frequency. Because if you can increase your frequency, you can almost double your training volume. And if you can double your training volume, that much stimulus is going to make a massive difference in the amount of muscle you're gaining over time. If you're doing one muscle group once a week and you're wondering why it's not growing that fast or it's, it's going to take a while to grow, but it, you're wondering why you're not like getting faster results, it's probably because you could increase your frequency and even see better results that way. Yeah. So progressive yep. overload, which is increasing volume and load over time, having slightly higher frequency, focusing on your performance rather than just your body. Because if you can get stronger over time and ha- move more training volume, the body's going to handle itself. And obviously the diet stuff is its yeah. own thing. But yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, the higher frequency will also uh, keep the uh, muscle protein synthesis more active. So let's say more frequently. And if you do like completely obliterate your chest on Monday and you wait until the next Monday to train it again, then you're missing out on like a lot of, you know, a lot of the days of the week where you could potentially also stimulate muscle growth in that region because I believe like the protein synthesis, it stays elevated for only like 48 hours or something like that. And in in reality, you could train like full body every other day almost as long as you're like programming properly and you're you're able to recover. You could, you could like even um, Eric Helms, I think he does, there's, I think, I don't know if he does chest or is it arms? three or something times a week but there are a lot of individuals that like if they have after years of training they've noticed there's a body part that lags a little bit behind others um they'll train you can train that three to four times a week uh you can also realize that for for some individuals some individuals have just some body parts that are like get hyper stimulus for me it's my legs like it doesn't matter if i train legs once a week um for me, my legs will just, they, they won't lose muscle. But other parts of my body, I have to keep stimulated more, more than one time a week so that I can maintain size or potentially gain size there. So if I were really, personally, if I were really trying to gain muscle in other parts of my body, I'd do legs maybe once, maybe a, a light second session, but I'd do all of my other body parts two to three times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you just got to figure out what works for you. But again, just the big idea of progressive overload over time. And I, I really just suggest don't focus on the physique. Like even, you know, we were mentioning social media, but I was thinking of something else. Like I know so many guys that take pictures of themselves like almost every single week. I didn't have something to take a picture of myself every week. And if you're doing that once a week, right, you're not going to be seeing much of a difference. And you're just going to be thinking in your head, man, why am I not getting bigger? It's because you're focusing just too much on the physique. Focus, I, I think that we just need to, especially if you're a gym goer, it'll be much better if you fall in love with the, fall in love with the process of training. Like for me nowadays, I, I really just like training. I don't focus on my physique. If, if I wasn't training, that would be the thing that I would feel bad about. So because I've fallen in love with the idea of training and the, the, the activity, that's going to be the thing that allows me to be patient over a long period of time to get those type of results. If you don't like what you're doing, it's going to be very hard to be patient with it, which is why like, don't just fall into, if you, if you don't enjoy you know, just doing powerlifting training or you don't enjoy just doing bodybuilding type training, find a form of training that you can truly enjoy, even if it's hard from time to time, it should be hard, but find something that you kind of like so that it'll be when those when times get hard and you, you know you're getting a little bit impatient, you still like the process. Yeah. Like it, it's it's such a cliche saying, trust the process. Yeah. <laughs> but literally, you, you gotta you gotta enjoy the process just a little bit if it's gonna be something that you're gonna stick to for a long period of time. Yeah, and you shouldn't have like the short term mentality of oh I'm gonna get my six pack for the summer <laughs> or uh, I'll just uh, destroy my biceps for the coming weekend or such. So yeah, yeah, like again see the long-term uh, game and uh, look at uh, it's, it's a process and it's going to take a long time. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing with like, you know, it's the same thing with a diet. Um, I think a lot of people, when they're, when they're looking at a diet, they want to like have it handled immediately. They don't want to give themselves time to learn and make the mistakes necessary to, to learn how to like eat properly. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not just the same with the gym where you got to like trust the process and learn things and you'll learn new things. You'll have pitfalls, but it's the same thing with the diet and where you'll, you may try different diets. Um, and obviously we know that the big deal is being in a caloric deficit, hopefully getting in enough protein so you don't lose muscle over time. Um, but some people may work better with keto. You know, some people, um, may work better just doing a moderate, you know, moderate carbohydrate, moderate fat, you know, mm-hmm. you got a general amount of protein type diet, but they may feel better doing that. Um, you just got to kind of give yourself the time to find what works well and stick with that over time. Mm-hmm. But um, like, I, like even me, when I started trying, I, I started intermittent fasting like a little bit more than a year and a half ago. It might be two years now. Mm-hmm. I did that mainly as a way to just increase focus. I didn't do it for body composition benefits or anything like that. I just wanted to find a way to be more productive in my day during my work because I found that I was a little bit too food focused. I was always kind of thinking about my next meal mm-hmm. and uh, I just didn't want to do that. So I was like, okay, let, let's start this whole IF thing. Um, and I still made sure to, in my eating windows to eat enough food. And I found that you know, not only did it help me obviously focus in those periods of time that I needed to like get a huge amount of work done, but when, when exercising and, and doing jujitsu, I even felt better on the mats. I felt more focused on the mats. I, I felt more clear headed when I was doing that. And that was kind of crazy to me. I'm like, first off, I thought that I would be really tired. I thought that my energy levels would be just wiped. But if I was hydrated well enough, right. And I ate enough food the night before in my, in my, my eating window, I felt amazing. And I, I, I thought that wouldn't be something that I'd be able to do because I grew up with this whole idea, you know, I grew up playing soccer, right? So you'd be like, okay, well, before a game or before practice, make sure to eat some food three or four hours before, or before a gym session, make sure to eat like two or three hours before to feel your workout. So um, I always, I never thought that I'd be able to perform so well at such a high level um, being fasted. I mean, even in here, and this was this was a few months ago. Uh, my best deadlift like years ago was 755 at like a 265 body weight, 267. <laughs> um, and I came in the gym and I was just feeling really good that day. I was still fasted. Came in the gym and I hit 725 at 242, 242 to 245. It was really damn easy, which kind of gave me an idea that, okay, the 725 was like maybe an RPE 8. I could have probably done it for a double. Mm-hmm. I could probably still deadlift 750, 755, maybe even 760 at this lighter body weight and I'm fasted. Like, you know, yeah. so, so that's the thing of being, first off, you can't try out every diet all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, intermittent fasting, is not like a diet. It's just a way of eating. But uh, being open to trying something different uh, and trying something new just to see if it works well for you. You know, if you asked me in 2014, 2015, and I was already like deep into the physical fitness stuff already, what do I think about intermittent fasting? I would have been like, well, why? Why, why, why would you not eat? That doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, but after actually trying it, I can, I can see why it's so beneficial. You know, and a lot of people still, especially I guess from the, from the flexible dieting community, still look at intermittent fasting and they're still like, why would anybody do that? Why would somebody not eat? Just count your macros and eat. But there are other benefits, you know, besides being flexible with the food you eat and adding in fun foods. There, there are other benefits to these other styles of dieting that you may not know. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, what kind of a fasting routine uh, do you follow? Generally, it's like for me, it's usually a 24 um, and I'm not even super strict with that. Sometimes I'll fast a little bit longer than that. I've never done a 48 hour fast yet. I've never done a prolonged fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I think sometimes it'll be 22, sometimes it'll be 18. But I generally fast uh, until like my first jujitsu session. So some days I do jujitsu in the morning. And even on those days, I still fast until the evening. But other days, like I'll have jujitsu at 7 p.m. So let's say I stopped eating at 10 or maybe 11 p.m. that last that yesterday night mm-hmm. um, and I fast till maybe 8 or 9 p.m. again so it can be anywhere from 20 to 23 hours I will eat a lot in a two-hour period mm-hmm. like seriously like I can I can pack down 2,800 to 3,000 plus calories <laughs> in a short period of time um, and that's the really really important thing I make sure 
to eat in my eating window. That's, that's I think, what, something that a lot of people uh, a lot of people have struggled with in terms of fasting. They're like, oh, I don't feel that hungry in my eating window or I'm losing all this muscle or whatever. Well, you, you're probably just not eating enough food. Yeah. And another thing is like, I don't fast every day. Some, some, some weeks I'll fast, like maybe, there's some weeks where I fast every single day, but there's some weeks when I can just tell, today I don't really feel like fasting. Today I feel like I should just eat through my day. So some weeks maybe I'll fast for four or five days. Some days I'll have fasted every single day, but I make sure to like sprinkle in some days where I don't fast just because I can kind of, I can feel it at this point. Um, days that I feel like I should eat beforehand. Uh, also when it comes to fasting, uh, I found that like my, my food choices have gotten better. So the, the, when I started doing flexible dieting years ago and I learned about it, I was really amped up about the fact that I could add in these dirty foods into my diet and I could make it fit my macros and still look great and still be shredded. I, 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 thought, I thought that was really, really awesome. But the thing I found really powerful at fasting, and I really don't necessarily know what the byproduct of this is, and I've seen this with even other people I work with, other clients I work with have reported the same thing, that after doing fasting for a period of time, you don't necessarily feel the same urges for those foods as you did in the past. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I have to make ice cream fit or I have to make um, Pop-Tarts fit or I have to make these highly palatable foods fit. Mm -hmm. I, I more so feel like I, I crave whole foods. Like I want, like when I'm done fasting, I want to eat whole foods. I don't want to eat junk food and make it fit my macros even though I could. And that in itself, I think, is really, really powerful because it's like there's no longer food no longer has any type of control. Like the reason why high palatable foods like cereal and, you know, ice cream and these things exist is to get you coming back for more. You know, you, you just feel good. So the fact that I don't feel like I need to go towards those foods, I can still have them every now and then, especially if my lady wants to go and get a meal or something. She wants to eat something like that. We'll go. But I don't feel the need to eat large amounts of that anymore. I don't even feel the need to eat it anymore. And I think that's a really powerful benefit of doing IF. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, it's completely changes your perception of food and uh, your mindset about it as well. And you, yeah, you kind of overcome this sort of uh, uh, cravings and you feel very mental clear during the daytime, especially when you are exercising even. And I, I also like see that you don't, you know, I, I agree that you don't really need to eat a whole lot of food before lifting something as long as you ate adequately the night before because your glycogen stores are still filled up from the previous dinner and uh, like for during the daytime when you're like walking around or just just uh, you know standing and working or something then you're not really burning that glycogen and you will only tap into it when you're starting to lift something heavy or when you're like grappling or sprinting or something so you you have these glycogen stores filled up yeah. And you start to use them only during the actual exercise. So you don't, you don't, you don't need to have like a pre-workout uh, carbohydrate drink or something like that to uh, fuel the workouts. You know, man, yeah, no, you're, you're so right. Like that's why, that's why I, I find it funny, you know, when I look at when in the past when I was doing a lot of like, like when I was focusing on lifting, right? Um, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I didn't eat any food before my workout. I'm going to, I think that there's, a men, there's definitely a big mental aspect um, especially when it comes to working out where some people don't feel like they can get their workout in if they don't have their pre-workout or they don't have their pre-workout meal. They feel like, oh my God, my workout was such trash or whatever. But it probably wasn't. You're just like, you're getting in your own head about it. Um, even nowadays, like I used to, like I used to, I could eat like 400, 500 grams of carbs like a day, right? And I'd use, I'd use that to fuel performance. Most of it was still whole foods, pretty much whole foods. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I needed that amount to be able to perform well. Um, nowadays, like my, my, carb, my carbohydrates are used very strategically. On a day that I know if it's going to be a double day, where I'm going to be able to come into super training like today, I'm going to lift. And then after that, I'm going to go to jujitsu in the evening. The night before, I'll have extra carbs. Maybe I'll eat 300 grams or 350 grams of carbs. On other days where I know I'm not going to be doing that much, maybe my carb amount will be more around 150 or, or 200. And in the past, if you told me that, I'd be like, oh my gosh, no, I need way more carbs to perform. So I think a, a lot of performance athletes, uh, some maybe they need to have like that many carbs, but I feel like most people can perform at a very high level with much less carbs than they, yeah. they think. 
uh, I think it's overblown just a little bit how many carbs you need to be able to do certain types of exercise efficiently at a high level. Yeah, and uh, that's coming from a guy who is deadlifting over seven hundred pounds, <laughs> and yeah. that's that's you know that's especially going to apply to people who are like sedentary or office workers, etc. They definitely don't need to be having like a bunch of carbs and uh, eating all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's that's another thing, you know. Okay, so I am very curious about this, and this is just going to be very open ended. Uh, but we, you know, Paul Saladino is right. Yeah, 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 carnivore guy. Um, he had, he had an interesting point in that he was talking about how, like, you know, how you can, you get more hydrated with extra salt. So he was like, you know, it might be a good idea or maybe a lot of performance athletes might not need any carbs if, number one, obviously when they take out carbohydrates, right, if they decide to go no carb at all, they allow themselves two to three weeks to get fat adapted. They make sure to have high levels of salt in their diet so that they can make sure that they, uh, they're well hydrated right? And they might be able to perform at a very, very high level off of fat. Mm -hmm. Now, most athletes, including myself, I've, I came up, I grew up on carbs. You know, my soccer coach was like, you need to eat carbs. You need to eat pasta before you step on the field, right? Um, and athletes, whenever, even in the past when I was like, I, I tried lower carb for a little bit or, or even no carb, after a few days, I was like, oh, this feels horrible. I can't do it. I, I, can't, I can't perform without my carbs. But I think a lot of athletes, maybe they didn't allow themselves to get fat adapted. And that takes a few weeks to get adapted to using fat as your main energy source. So I am curious if I could, if high level athletes could do what they do purely working off of fats. We obviously know that there is a benefit in like muscle glycogen, but you know, when you're working mainly off of fats, there's gluconeogenesis and that'll get a little bit of glycogen into the muscle. But mm. I don't know if many athletes have really given it a chance because like all at like all high level athletes eat a decent amount of carbs. You know, we we're, we're scared of not using, uh, of like getting rid of carbs in the diet. So I just wonder if it would work, mm. you know, I think, I think, uh, there would be still like a quite a substantial importance for some form of carbohydrates, uh, especially maybe like some strategic carbohydrates, etc. But uh, I'd, I would agree that uh, most athletes would benefit for more from becoming slightly more keto adapted and uh, starting to learn how to use their own body fat for fuel yeah. more efficiently because currently like, the main module is that you need to, you need to eat only carbs and uh, all the time. So that's going to interfere the body to use its own body fat stores. And yeah, mm -hmm. like some, some form of fasting, some form of carb cycling that would just uh, greatly just improves the athletes fuel partitioning as well as your longevity as well, I would imagine. Exactly. And, and, and not only that, you mentioned it too. Think about the, the mental aspect of it, the clarity that you get when you're a little bit, when you're keto adapted and you're working mm -hmm. on ketones, right? We know how, how, well, how much, how focused we feel, right? When, when, when we are, you know, working off of that. So if the athlete's able to tap into that, they'd probably like maybe perform, not just in terms of their body, but maybe in terms of their mind, perform a little bit better. I, that's why I definitely feel like my jujitsu is a little bit sharper when I'm fasted, mm -hmm. you know, because like, I, I just, I feel like rain man on the mats. <laughs> like, like seriously, it really does make a pretty good difference. I just feel much better when I'm rolling much sharper, much clearer with my movements. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why I'm be sticking with it. Nice. Uh, but so what do you like kind of break your fast with and uh, what do you eat during that time? Uh, so it's funny when I first started fasting, man, <laughs> it was so bad. Um, I think the, it was on like my second week of intermittent fasting or something. Like there was one day where I was like, I'm so hungry and I was fasting for a long time. So I just like, I had this mishmash of foods, right? I think I had some rice, had some meat, had some yogurt. I had, and I had this all at once. You kind of know where this is going. I threw up, bro, because usually my stomach was so sensitive, right? Um, so from that point, I was like, oh, okay, so the stomach's sensitive after fasting. I probably should be a little bit more careful. So I, I started in the past, like, I don't know, it was a few months ago, I, I was using a little bit of bone broth once I finish up with my fast to kind of just warm things up, how to go into my meals. Found that I don't, I don't need bone broth much anymore or it doesn't, mm -hmm. there's no difference now. So I literally just break my fast with like some meat, a steak or something like that. Um, and then after a bit, I might add, like I might have some rice also. Um, I like having fats, so I may have some avocado or 
pork belly. I'm a fan of pork belly. I know a lot of people listen to that. They're like, that's disgusting. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I'll have like a lot of rice, potatoes, whole foods generally. Um, I do eat chicken here and there, uh, just because like, if I need to get more protein in it, it's fairly, it's easy to get in. Um, my food's really, really boring. If you guys aren't catching on to this right now, I, I, like generally, yeah, nowadays it's pretty boring. I do have Greek yogurt too every now and then. I'll add some like maybe honey and fruit to it. Um, and I've actually added in recently, like recently, recently, liver, mm. like raw liver. Nice. <laughs> that might sound weird to some people, but um, you'd be surprised in terms of the, just the micronutrient density yeah. in liver. Um, if you get it from a butcher that like they, it, you get it from like a grass fed calf or whatever, um, that you can eat it raw without an mm. issue. Yeah. The reason why li- the taste of li- liver doesn't bother me either is because I used to eat liver a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. I come from a Nigerian household, so we had exotic foods, you can imagine, and liver was one of those foods. So the thing about liver is that it, it doesn't taste bad to me, but it may taste bad to other people. So you can like sear it and cook it, but it, dude, it's so micronutrient dense. Yeah. So I'm going to like, I'm, I've added that in. Um, I'm going to see how I feel after a bit because even like, Paul was here the other day and Mark was like, Mark has been eating liver now for a while. He, after about a week or two, he did notice a difference in terms of the way he felt. Again, it's because of that micronutrient density. So um, I've added that in too. But the, I don't break my, like, I don't, some days I'll break my fast with like rice or something. Like, like maybe I'll fry up some rice and maybe have some eggs with it. Um, but it's like, it's not only like meat or right. Like I don't have a structure to it. I just make sure to get in the amount of food I need to get. The main thing is I don't mix all these foods together because my stomach is a little bit sensitive after the fast. Um, so yeah, I'm not too fancy with it. I eat whole foods generally. Um, I eat, I'm not full carnivore, so I do eat fruits. I like kiwis. I like blueberries, etc. cetera. Um, but I just mainly eat whole foods nowadays, which is what I really like because I used to. I used to eat snacks a lot in the past and make them fit into my macronutrient protocol for the day. Now, I don't feel that I need to do that. I'm, I'm faring more towards whole foods, which is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if there's anything else I need to add to that. Yeah, no, that, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, sounds really solid. And uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of liver as well. So, <laughs> uh, the, oh, yeah. You do it raw? Yeah, like uh, I, I usually do it uh, slightly steamed, but I do have it like uh, raw as well, quite quite often, so to say. I may have like a, a bite of it as raw, uh, but then the rest of it I'll steam it a little bit just to make it more palatable. But yeah, I, I actually the, the idea of eating raw liver isn't 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 something to frown upon, or it, it shouldn't be disgust, it's disgusting. It's more of like an acquired taste. And you eventually start to like it, actually. And you don't, you know, <laughs> feel that it's awful. That. Yeah. People think yeah. we're crazy for that. You really do start to... The taste, like, I never dislike the taste. But I feel like if you give it time, you'll start to like the taste. Let me, let me ask you, Sim. Did you notice a difference after you started, when you implemented it into your diet? Or you just did it because you know about the micronutrient density? Um, well, I, I've been eating liver for maybe like four to five years <laughs> consistently all oh. the time. So, so I haven't noticed like a huge kind of difference. But I, when I started it, I, I, I moved on from like a regular bodybuilding diet to like a paleo type of diet. And then I started adding it. So maybe I would say, yeah, just general, um, maybe, yeah, you feel, feel slightly better in terms of like having more energy because of the micronutrients, etc. And also, like the satiety is also somewhat more higher because it's so nutrient dense, and you feel so satiated much quicker than if you were to eating like I don't know uh, tilapia or chicken breast uh, all the time. Oh gosh! Yes, yeah, I I haven't had tilapia <laughs> in like five years. I swear, I will not eat tilapia for an, an ever again in my life. Never. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, but uh, how did you end up uh, working with Mark and uh, the podcast? Yeah, so I've you know I've been training here for a while, and um, I think Mark probably saw that like when I started jujitsu, like I just did things a little bit differently here, you know. Uh, and I mean, it, it, like a lot of people powerlift and stuff, but I just I wanted to just try new stuff, right? I wanted to like get strong while doing jujitsu, and I I started picking up like fasting or whatever, and I like the whole nasal breathing thing. Like I, I just like. Like, like you, I try to figure out ways to like optimize my life and optimize what I do, right? So um, 
I think he, he like, he said, he noticed that. And then he was like, you should just come on the podcast. We could just like talk about this stuff. And you know, if people like you, people like you, if people don't, I kick you out. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty much the thing. So, so yeah, man, I, I came on here. I don't know how long it's been now since I've been on the podcast, maybe like five months or something like that, four months or mm-hmm. five months. Um, people don't seem to hate me just yet. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, but I think it's just cause you know, I was here for a while. He saw that I was doing a lot of good stuff. Um, and he said, yeah, hop on and, and, and let's see if, see if you're good at this and I'm getting better. I'm not as bad as I used to be behind the mic. This mic used to be nerve wracking for me now, not as much, you know, I improved a little bit, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it was really, it is a really awesome opportunity. I'm really happy to be here. The big reason why I'm happy to be on is because, man, like, like the, the type of guests that I get to talk to all, like, and learn from, I think that's the biggest thing. It, it just lets me, I guess it lets me fast track my education, it lets me fast track yeah. Yeah. what I'm learning about. I can learn about these things and get the information uh, from the source. And I can also learn where they learned the information. What I'm, a lot, like, what I'm really curious about when it comes to a lot of high performance individuals and very knowledgeable people knowledgeable people isn't necessarily what they know, but where they got it from. Mm. Um, because if you know the source, then you, you, you can go to that source and you can just learn it immediately. You don't have to waste your time beating around the bush trying to find out where to get certain pieces of information. If you just know what they read or what they did to learn about it, then you can do, it, you can do that the same way. So that's what really has me excited about this whole podcast. Get to talk to a lot of high-performance individuals, learn from them, get their sources, and uh, and yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's an amazing opportunity and experience. Yeah, it's like environmental exposure in a sense that you are surrounded by these people who are, you know, lifting weights and taking care of their health and, you know, being, you know, trying to focus on their own development and growth and it kind of rubs off on you and uh, puts more accountability on yourself as well. So it's a huge, huge uh, hack in the sense that you actually fast track your success, like you said. It's just, it's just like the idea of, um, you know, putting yourself around people that are just much better than you at certain things. Just like I mentioned, when I came here into the gym, I wasn't the strongest in the gym by any means. Um, but by, by getting around stronger people and learning from them and, and being open to, to what they had to say, I was able to fast track my strength progression Mm. just because I was able to, you know, put my ego aside and just be open to learning from them. Same thing when guests come on here. Even if I may think something differently from the guest, I just want to like see what they have to say, learn from them, question a few things and, uh, and use that and add those, add those tools to my toolbox so I can use for the people that I work with, which is just extremely powerful. You know, I feel like we should all try to put ourselves into uh, ideally uncomfortable and, and situations where we're not the top dog. You know, I feel like it's very easy to, to train out a place for a while or to, to do something for a while and be the best there, right? Yeah. But I also feel like if you're the best in, a, in an area or you, you're the best of the group around you, you need to not necessarily leave that group, but maybe uh, join a group where you're not at the top, yeah. okay? So that you can, you can get to that next level. Yeah, for sure. It's a again, positive competition. <laughs> Keep, yeah, keeps exactly. you more accountable. Well, it's been great, exactly. great talking with you. Uh, and before I ask my last question, where can people learn more about uh, you and your work? Yeah, so um, if you're curious about like what I do, uh, you can head to breakthebar.com. Uh, that's the, the, my coaching company, Break the Bar. Um, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube at Insima Iyang. Yeah, it's a complicated name. I'm Nigerian, so Insima Iyang. Um, and yeah, you can find me at Mark Bell's Power Project. Also, I co-host this podcast. And I also have another podcast that I co-host on the side with my, my childhood friend who I've known for, what is it, 20 years now, 21 years, Brian Bly. It's called We Don't Know Yet. Um, we haven't had an episode out in a while, but in that podcast, we just try to, same thing that I kind of do here with Mark, but more on the personal development side. Uh, we just try to get people on, learn new things. We talk about books we're reading because we love to read. Like we love to read. So nice. um, yeah, it's called We Don't Know Yet on all those platforms. Yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Uh, we're going to leave all the links in the show notes. And uh, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind?
being secluded, allowing myself to think. I think that for, for the longest time, I, I was really, I feel, yeah, I could use the word scared, scared of being bored, scared of like not having something to do. You know, I always had to be doing something. Some would argue that that's not really improving your body, but I feel like mm. that could have helped me maybe to figure out certain things faster. Uh, being on my own just a bit, you know, being, being away from outside stimulus. And I, obviously, it does great things for the mind. Um, but I feel like it's just, again, because of like how my generation's growing up and even the generation after my own, um, we grew up with a lot of tech. We grew up with a lot of tech and we don't know what it's like just to let our thoughts run. We're, we're scared of being alone with our thoughts. I feel like if I adopted that when I was younger, eh, some things would maybe be a little bit different, you know? Um, but I'm very happy I adopted that like idea when I did. I noticed it was a problem. I'm happy I realized it was even an issue because if you, if you look at how a lot of people around you do certain things, you'll go even to like a sauna or something. I'll go to a sauna and literally everybody's on their phones scrolling and scrolling, right? Like you, you can't even sit somewhere and just let your mind like just, just process things and think about things. I think that could be something especially powerful for people in our generation just because it's not common for us. The normal thing is to have this bad boy with us everywhere we go, staring at it at every moment we have a free time. Um, I think of that, I, I think of that, that's something that I wish I adopted sooner, but I'm happy that that's the way I live now. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome advice in the sense that it's going to give you more self-awareness as well as more clarity into your goals and uh, what you need to do. So it's very powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Seriously. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming to the podcast and it was great talking with you and uh, maybe we'll see each other in the future. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, I'll see you around. All right, Sim. See ya. All right, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.